Turn in your Bibles a while to the book of Amos. The book of Amos. So this morning we want to look at another uh, minor prophet and the book of Amos. We have uh, a few more to go. We have the uh, uh, book of uh, Hosea. And then we have three of the post-exile prophets. That would be the uh, prophets after their return. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So as we're going through that, uh, those are the few that we have to do yet. We did look at Joel a few years ago. That uh, We had, had three messages on Joel. So I think then we have covered the minor prophets. So this morning we have the book of Amos is another one. So this I've been trying to get through... Uh, each of the minor prophets, I was trying to do them in a one setting and getting the gist of the book and the in the one message. Now this morning, uh, we want to do that as well here with the book of Amos. However, we are going to divert a little bit and we're going to make it practical to our council service. But So we're going to try to get the overall message and we want to, we want to also uh, look at it in our light of our council service. So we obviously cannot touch on everything. So the, the book, the title could be the book of Amos, but uh, rather I think we're going to title the message this morning, Is My Life Plum? And we will get that in the end of the book here. We will see the, uh, the, the vision that God gives Amos of the plumb line. So we will work towards that in our message this morning. So his name means burden. Amos carried a burden for the people of Israel. And he delivered the message that God gave him to the uh, children of Israel. Now, one thing that's interesting, and uh, we won't spend a lot of time here, but we do find that in the uh, Amos is quoted by James at the Acts 15, the first Jewish conference, the first conference they had in the church there. Uh, after much disputing, James stood up and he quotes from Amos. And this is the verses that he quotes, just a, an interesting uh, fact there. You can look at that in chapter 9 later. We won't come back to that. But actually, Amos had a personality that really came out. When you look at the book of Amos, he was really a prophet. He told it like it was, and you didn't beat around the bush. Uh, rather, uh, quite different than Hosea, what we'll look at next. Hosea was more of a mercy kind of guy, and he uh, had uh, mercy. He preached at the same time as Amos, and we see God's balance here. He had the prophet, he said it like it was, and he had uh, Hosea preaching with uh, a little more mercy. So we, uh, we see in verse 1, if you have your Bibles open to chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to see a lot of introduction. I'm going to use verse 1, verse 1 here, and also chapter 7 gives us some introduction. And let's read the verses there, uh, Amos 1.1. 1, 1. It says, the words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen, herdmen of Tekoa, when he saw, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And then in verse uh, chapter 7, verse 14 and 15 says, then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, he would have been the, uh, the priest there in the temple at Bethel. He said, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herd, herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. So here we see that uh, Amos is the author. 
He's called and he's sent by God. And he's from Tekoa. That would be a town south, like six miles south of Bethlehem. So he's from the southern kingdom. And he was called to preach to the northern kingdom. He says he was a herdsman. So he tended sheep. He was also a gatherer of sycamore fruit. So he would have gathered figs and he would have been a farmer. And he says here he was unschooled. He says, he, you know, Elisha would have been before and they would have had the school prophets. He says, I was no prophet. I wasn't the son of a prophet. I was a farmer. He was unschooled, an ordinary guy. He knew what hard work was. And, uh, and God called him to take, to leave the sheep and to go from the southern kingdom up to the northern kingdom with a message, with a message. Now, and it mentions two kings here. So that dates him. Uh, puts him right to 750 uh, uh, BC, or about 35 years ahead of their the, the captivity of the northern kingdom. We can tell by the the kings that were reigning at that time. So it's only 45 minutes, 45, 35 years for, to 50 years later that the cap- captivity of the uh, the northern kingdom came. Southern kingdom was much later. So he went and he appeared at Bethel. Now Bethel was the town where Jeroboam uh, had placed these golden calves. Jeroboam the first, when the kingdom was divided, there was a southern kingdom and northern kingdom. Jeroboam was scared if the people went down to Jerusalem, they would he would lose their loyalty. So he uh, set up these wall altars at, to worship at Bethel and Dan. And the northern kingdom is, is where this idolatry started. They introduced this pagan worship and some of the most awful things took place there. So the three, as we look at the overall prophets, we see that, you know, there was three things that they were always over and over again calling out. And that was their idolatry. And we see them calling out all the injustices. And Amos is heavy on the injustices. He noticed that, that there was all the injustice that was going on. And Micah called that out as well. And then in immorality, the, most of the prophets call out the immorality of that day. So the idolatry is the way they were insulting God. And the injustices is how they were injuring one another. And all the, the immorality is how they were indulging in themselves. And the prophets called out this time and time again. So we can see the uh, different verses that we're going to see uh, coming out here, familiar verses, and I think we'll just uh, get to them when we, uh, when we get to them here. So we have an outline. The, uh, first of all, we see the judgments, the chapters 1 and 2, so we're going to have to go fast here. Chapters 1 and 2, we see eight judgments, and the first, the first of the six judgments are to the neighbor's and then he comes into Judah as the seventh judgment and Israel as the eighth judgment. And we see God is circling in. He's coming in and he's centering in on Israel. And as we think of our council service this morning, you know, it's, we want to look at a personal message from God, from Amos to us in our lives. Is my life plumb? We're going to circle in to our own hearts and see if there's anything that's standing in the way. Then we see chapters three to six, we see the three, there's three sermons and two woes. And we're going to skim some of those. We won't get to the, the first woe. Is, uh, we won't touch on that. The second woe is we will touch on the woe to them that are at ease. And then in seven to nine, we have five visions and we won't get to them all. There's the locust and the fire and the plumb line. And then we have the basket of ripe fruit. And then we have the... Um, 
the Lord before the altar. So we don't, we will be looking at basically the plumb line in the last section there. And that one thing we won't touch on is the hope. There's a hope that comes out at the end of every book prophet, the, the hope of Israel. And this morning we will not touch on that. So there's a lot here that we won't be looking at. So judgment is pronounced, and let's go to chapter 1, and I'd like to read, we already looked at verse 1, I'd like to read verse 2. So verse 2, it says, and he said, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. So here we see the Lord is setting the stage. He's roaring from Zion and he's roaring in wrath. He said, it's enough. It's enough. And verses uh, three, uh, chapter, chapter one, verse three, we see the first judgment call out and it's to Damascus. And this is the neighbor. This is Damascus would have been uh, uh, Syria at uh, Syria. So, so he calls out the first judgment here, and let's read that in verse 3. It says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilad with threshing instruments of iron. And then it says, and the judgment comes out in verse 4 and 5. It says, I will send a fire into the house of Hazel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadon. I will break also the bar of Damascus. I will cut off the inhabitants from the plain of Even, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden. And the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Kir, saith the Lord. So here we have the first thing I want to mention, look at, is it repeats himself. He says, for thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. And that's where we're going to see that repeated here. And basically what he's saying is for, for many sins and more, he's calling out the, the many sins. And he begins with Damascus uh, in Syria, and he's basically accusing them of their cruelty in war, his, how they took advantage of people and they hammered them. They used instruments of iron, it says here. So they were barbaric and cruel in nature, and God noticed that. And, uh, and he calls them out and calls them out into judgment. And then in verse 6, we see Gaza, same thing. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the judgment thereof because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Eden. And then he calls out the judgment. I will send fire and uh, I will cut off the inhabitants. So here he's bring, calling out judgment against Gaza. Now, they were condemned here for their sin of slavery. Gaza's where the Philistines handed over the uh, captive Israelites to Eden. Gaza is still one of the uh, towns of the old Philistine towns and still there today. So, God, secondly, through Amos, God is calling judgment out on Gaza. And then Tyrus in verse, uh, verses 9, uh, the same thing. He's calling them out there for their uh, also also calls them out for their cruel slavery. And they uh, handed them over to the, uh, the captive Israelites to Eden. And it says there of Tyre the Eastern broke the treaty. So God, this is what he's calling out, the, bro the brotherly covenant that they, uh, they broke. And then in verse uh, 11 and 12, it says they, uh, it, the judgment against Edom. Now Edom was uh, descendants of Esau. And uh, they deprived the king, it says, of Eden from a decent burial. And Israel, Israel uh, you know, they were, 
they were, um, the whole book of Obadiah was written against the Eden, the judgment against Eden. So Eden would have been the uh, descendants of Esau, cousins, distant cousins to Israel. And God is calling out judgment against Eden. And Israel's probably pretty happy with Amos by now. He's preaching against, about all these others, and they're probably amening. And they, uh, then he talks about to Ammon in verse 13. And he uh, calls out all their terrible atrocities in conquering part of the Gilgal, uh, Gilad. And they uh, even mentions there how they, uh, they uh, because they have ripped open women with child. Just think about all the awful way of their cruelty. And then he calls out Moab. And Moab uh, the, uh, is where they deprived the king of a decent uh, burial. So uh, Amos is calling out all these neighbors, and then he uh, and they're probably very pleased with him. And he's and keep on preaching, brother. But he, uh, Amos started out with the neighbors, and he zeroes in on Judah and Israel. He had a perso- personal message to Israel, and I believe that we want to think about it this morning. We each that God has a personal message for each one of us as we think about our communion service. You know, Amos wasn't so concerned about how bad the, uh, the other nations were. Amos was, had a burden for Israel, and he had a way of getting their attention. They have become worse than the, the nations that God drove out, so they had room for them. So he, and in, in notice, he lists the, uh, the uh, Judah and Israel right in with the other Gentile nations. That would have been a uh, disgrace or degrading for them to be labeled with the other Gentile nations. But it was because of their spiritual adultery, they forfeited their special recognition from God. It was because of their sin. So God had a message for Judah. And here's where we want to go in verse 4. Chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. So he turns in and uh, focuses on Judah. They uh, despised the law of the Lord and kept not the commandments. They didn't keep the commandments. They, re- they rejected them. And so we see that, uh, and then he's coming in and zeroes in on Israel in chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. So the... Uh, and let's read on. It says, That pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge every by every altar. They drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from, uh, from above and his roots from beneath. Also I brought up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness, possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up your sons for prophets and your young men for Nazar- Nazarites. Is it not I even thus, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink 
and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore the, f- the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force. Neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow. He that is swift of, of foot shall not deliver himself. Neither he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous. Courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. That's talking about the judgment. So here we see that he's calling out the, the sins of, the, of Israel and Judah here. And number one, we see that against Judah, he called out that they were despising the law. They didn't keep the commandments and they believed lies. They followed the false prophets. They didn't, uh, they didn't follow the true prophets. And we see there was oppression of the poor. And we're going to have to speed through these here, but we could spend a lot of time here. But there was oppression of the poor, and that would came out over and over again. They, they sold the righteous for silver and, for a, and the poor for a pair of shoes. They took advantage of the poor, and God took notice. And there was oppression of the righteous. They made the Nazarites to drink. They commanded the prophets not to prophesy. To prophesy. Uh, Immorality was uh, was awful. I believe it refers to the temple prostitution here. But idolatry and immorality often go together. And uh, I believe that we're going to see here that in Amos's day was a time of affluence and a time of leisure. And I believe leisure and affluence can lead to moral decay. And I believe it's what we're seeing in our day today. And there was complacency. Now let's turn into chapter 6. Complacency. If you turn over to one or two pages in your Bible to chapter 6, we could spend a lot of time here, and I do want to read these verses. It says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, and trust in mountains of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Pass ye unto Calnid, and see, from from thence you go ye to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms, or were their border greater than your border? Ye that put away the evil day and cause the seat of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointment, that they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. So here we see he's calling out in uh, uh, the the affluence and the that led to the complacency. You know, in chapter three, it talks about they had their winter homes and their summer homes. They had their ivory uh, furniture, very expensive. Here in chapter six, it talks about the ivory beds. They were whining and they were dining. They had they had, they ate the choice meats and they had bowls of wine. And they had this ointment, so I'm not sure if that was uh, perfume or what it was. But it says, woe to them that are at ease. Those who are complacent. They didn't believe that judgment was coming. In verse 3 it says, who put far away the evil day. They didn't think that judgment would ever come. You know, the prophets talked about it over and over again. They declared it, that judgment is coming. And he says, woe to them that are at ease. You act and you think like everything's okay. 
that everything is just fine. Doesn't that sound like our nation today? Doesn't that sound, I believe Amos' message is for today. They had a deaf ear to the prophets. They had a deaf ear, and I believe it's the same today. There was the the affluence and complacency. And uh, I believe it's the same today. We're living in that day, in that day of they were trusting in Samaria, trusting in themselves instead of trusting in God. And uh, so the complacency and pride, they thought they were better. So Amos had a burden. He said, you know, I am pressed under this burden of sin. He had a burden. So now we want to just quickly look at um, we want, uh, what, what was different about the judgment against Israel to the judgment of the, the other nations, the other Gentile nations. The other Gentile nations, and I brought them in on purpose, took the time for it to show that God called them out for their relationship with other people. They were called out for their cruelty in, in, in war. They're oppressing the poor and t- uh, taking advantage of other people and, and slavery. But when it came to God's children, he calls them out for their relationship to him. You know, it, it says there that they, dis, they, it, uh, it, uh, they despised the law and kept not the commandments. It was more with their relationship with him. So we see that God is judged different, that God judges his people differently than the uh, Gentile nations because they were my people. It says there in, uh, in Amos 3, in verse 2, and I have it up there, you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for your iniquity. He had a covenant with his people, and he didn't have a covenant with the pagan nations around him. You only have I known. He, and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm known of my sheep. He knows us if we have a relationship with him. So, and, to, and to whom much is given, more is required. So we're, we have, we're at a call to a higher standard, and God will judge, I believe, the, the, uh, us today uh, at a, at a, with a higher standard because of our relationship with him, because of our, our uh, following him, our intimate relationship with him. And they, uh, so we see they had the, they had the five books of the, the law. They, were more, they had more, and they were more responsible and uh, we have a verse here, for as many have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. As many have sinned in the law shall be judged in the law. And there we see the higher standard uh, that we have. We are, we are responsible for what we know. Israel and Judah had God's law and they were condemned for their disobedience to it. And uh, here it says as a... Uh, for the time has come that judgment must first begin at the house of God and begin at the house of God. What shall the end of those that obey not the gospel? So judgment will begin at the house of God and judgment is without respect to persons. Jews and Gentiles are judged uh, righteously. So when we think about these council questions, peace with God and peace with our fellow man, God is concerned about our relationship with him, you know, and our relationship with others. You know, our, and our relationship with others. God is concerned about our devotional life, our prayer life, and uh, what hinders our devotional life, what hinders our prayer life, and it's sin. You know, you could look at Israel's baggage of sin, and that plagued them, that hindered them, that took them down, that they're with their communion with God, it actually quenched them. But today, <clears throat> sin will hinder and we saw that in our Sunday school lesson, weights that hold us back, 
It'll hinder our communion with God. It was said, you know, the book will keep you from sin, the Bible, and the sin will keep you from the book. So sin is what will keep us from the, um, our relationship with God. And we'll get to that again here. So now in chapter three, uh, we have, we have here, uh, if you can turn your Bibles to chapter three, I'd like to look at the, uh, a couple reasons. Maybe we'll skip over this, but here's why the judgment, he explains why the judgment will come in verse, in chapters three. Uh, we, we see the, uh, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Lord is saying, how can we walk together unless we're in it together, unless we have fellowship together? And uh, these things are in your life and they're not right. How can we walk except we together, except we be agreed? And another question, all these questions were just explaining why the judgment will come. Then in chapter four, we have a, uh, a very, a very important uh, section of verses. And here we see that in chapter four, five times he says, yet ye have not returned to me. And we want to see here God's heart in drawing his people back to himself. Uh, he, he tried everything. He tried, he tried, uh, he, it, I believe the, uh, the gist here is I have spoken and you're not listening. You're not listening to me. Uh, and in verses four and five, he uses some sarcasm. Come to Bethel and transgress at Bethel, at Gilgal, multiply transgressions and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings for this likeneth you, O children of Israel, saith the Lord. And see, so he's saying, you have made up your mind. You want to transgress. And you don't have any respect for the law. You know, you bring your sacrifices to, to, to Bethel. You said, go ahead, come and transgress. This is what you want to do, do it. So then in verses six on, he, he talks about uh, five things that he says, I've tried. He's trying to get their attention. I have spoken and you're not listening. He's trying to wake them up out of their apostasy. Israel, you have not returned unto me, to me. Amos was appealing to them to seek the Lord and return to him, and he tries everything to get their attention. Famine, the cleanness of teeth, is nothing to eat, so there's clean teeth. Um, the drought, the blight, the mildew, the locust, the pestilence, the young men killed by the sword, plagues like Egypt, and none of these caused them to repent. Five times you have not returned to me. I have, I have spoken and you're not listening. And then in verse 12, it says, and maybe we should turn to verse 12. It's right after the tale of all of this. In verse 12 of chapter four, it says, therefore, thus will I do unto you, O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. There we have that familiar verse, to prepare to meet your God. God's saying, uh, this is not a gospel message, a gospel salvation appeal. It's a message of judgment. It comes after all of these warnings. And God says, I did it. These weren't natural disasters. I caused them. I caused them to wake you up. I was using it to wake up, but you would not return. Therefore, prepare to meet God. They made their choice. They didn't want to return to him. God said, okay, that's, a, you know, just punishment's coming. Punishment's coming. Prepare to meet your God. And I believe God is the same today. 
He's drawing, he wants all men, draw, he, his love will not let go. He will do everything in his power to bring us back to him. You know, if we have something in our lives that's not, we know it's not right, and we're not willing to do something about it, God is faithful in drawing us back to himself. He wants that relationship. He's, he, uh, and so when these abnormal things happen, we need to listen. You know, what's God saying? We need to heed his warnings. We need to follow his will and his way. One day we will meet God. We need to prepare for that. So he's calling them back to himself. Then in chapter 5, we have the, uh, a very uh, center of the book, and it's the meat of the book maybe, but here he calls them to seek the Lord and you shall live. Chapter 5, he's still calling back Israel. Come back, Israel. Uh, he calls the, on them to repent. And I have the verses on here that I'd like to touch on. It says, For the, thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not into Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Jacob and devour it, and there will be none to quench it, in Bethel. See, here's the solution. Here's the remedy. He's call, here's the plea. Here's the call to repent. Seek the Lord and you shall live. It's simple. It's clear. It's easy to understand. If you want life, seek me. It's not a one-time seeking, but it's seeking him daily. It's seeking him. You know, if you want life, seek me. And New Testament says, seek the, the kingdom of God and these things shall be added unto you. So he's call, it's, here's the plea. Here's the call to repent. And also it's, uh, in, in verses 14 and 15, he tells them to seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts shall be with you and sh as he has spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Israel, of Joseph. So here we can see that seeking good and not evil that you may live. This is hope. This was their mercy. But it requires repentance. It requires change. It requires a seeking. But it starts with seeking the Lord and seeking good and not evil. You know, one can really not turn to the Lord without turning from those evil things, from things that are contrary to him. So Amos says, pursue God with the same energy and zeal, zeal that you were pursuing evil. You know, Micah talked about how they loved evil and hated good. But here he says, if you seek good, if you seek the good, hate the evil and love the good, it's going to be well with you. So, uh, but their definition of good and evil was obviously different than God's. You know, in their minds, evil was good. And uh, they decided they knew what's best. They decided what's right and what's wrong. Does that sound familiar today? You know, we have people that uh, redefine marriage, including same-sex marriage. You know, uh, in our minds, can we justify something that's maybe not so bad? You know, we're just redefining the good and evil, just what's evil. You know, man is not the standard. God is the standard. God says, you need to live according to what I say. 
And uh, there in verse 15, hate evil and love good and establish judgment in the gate. And it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. You see his plea, hate the evil and love the good. Now, uh, every time you have a, a judgment, gloom and doom, judgment preaching like Amos here, you can always find mercy. And here's the mercy. Here's the mercy of God. Here's God calling them back to himself. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, as far as the standard of the right and wrong, he gives us a vision of the plumb line in chapter seven. And you can turn over to chapter seven, but we have a vision. We have a picture. God gives us a picture in Amos to help us see what God's standard is. And it's the plumb line. It's his plumb line. It's God's standard. In verse chapter seven, in verse seven, it says, thus he showed me and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. So here we have the plumb line. Amos, God said, what do you see? Amos said, a plumb line. Now, plumb line here was used to measure, measure Israel's sin, to find out how far she's gone astray. He says, I will not pass by them anymore. He's not going to overlook this anymore. He's had enough. And he says, I am setting in the midst a plumb line. Now, a plumb line is simply a plumb bob or the weight at the bottom of a string used by carpenters and a lot largely by masons uh, to, to get a wall perfectly plumb. When you go this way, it's level. And when you go this way, it's plumb. And, uh, and it's important to be plumb. If the wall's not plumb, why it's, it's maybe dangerous or you can't just go and straighten a masonry wall out. Today we have lasers and we have laser levels and laser squares and whatever. But this is God showing Amos a plumb line. He says, I am putting myself in the midst of you, of Israel, to show you what's right and what's wrong. I am the plumb line. I am the standard of right and wrong. And if you seek good and not evil, uh, there's hope. There's hope. But And by the, the measuring tool is my tool, my plumb line. It's not what they think or what they say, it's not what we think or what we say. God's plumb line stands true, stood true through time. Well, they didn't repent. You know, the Lord stood on the wall and he measured Israel. They did not measure up and they were found wanting. And uh, there's another example in the Bible of Daniel that was, uh, not Daniel, Belshazzar was found wanting. You know, they was weighed in the balances when the handwriting on the wall came and uh, Daniel said, you're, you're finished to Belshazzar. You were weighed in the balances and found wanting. Same principle, judgment. And we could say, what is God's plumb line? I'm sorry, I have to go fast here. God, what is God's plumb line? Is justice, Isaiah says, judgment also I will lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. Here God is declaring what his plumb line is. It's judgment and it's righteousness. Righteous. It's 
Justice is, a, is what that just judgment is. Justice and righteousness. And where do we find it? But in the word of God. So today, the word of God is the plumb line, is the plumb line. And there's a verse that tells us that he uses the same plumb line. He doesn't have one for one and one for another. But you know, the opposite of plumb is crooked. And uh, the Bible talks about the crooked generation. There in Isaiah, they have corrupted themselves. Their spot, is, their, their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and a crooked generation. You know, only, the only way to be vertically true is if we align ourselves with God's plumb line. God has a plumb line. And it's very true today. Do We do live in an immoral, idolatrous, idolatrous society. And it's a very crooked generation. But God is still the plumb line. Any generation that tries to determine right and wrong in their own thinking is, is a crooked generation, is a crooked generation. They have corrupted themselves. Another verse in the New Testament, that, they have that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, that without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights. In the midst of a crooked generation, God's saying, I want you to be true. I want you to measure up me by your by his plumb line, regardless of how the world defines what. And there were to be blameless and harmless, not influenced by this crooked world. God is calling the Christian to a higher standard. If you're following me, I want you to line up to my plumb line. I want you to be a bright light for me. You know, God's plumb line never changes never changes, we can be grateful about that. So when we think about the Gentile nations that God declared judgment on, he was largely declaring, uh, calling them out for their relationship to others. But when he came to the children of Israel, he, he, he included their relationship to him. So it was about him. They despised his laws. They not followed his commandments. They're the ones that had the law. And today, we as God's children, God, I believe that's a call to us that God is interested in, how, in our, his, our relationship with him. If we're a child of God, what is our relationship to him? The more we have, the more we're responsible for. We're responsible for what we know. And uh, so this morning, as we think of the council service this morning, uh, or is, is my life plumb? Is my life plumb? So, counsel questions. Do I have peace with God and your fellow man? Is it your desire to live by and uphold the doctrines and principles of Jesus Christ and his church? Are you planning to participate in communion on September 10th? It's down the road here. So these are the questions that are in our boxes that we will fill out and hand in to Leon. But it's a self-examination, a self-examination. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, it says, But let a man examine himself, and let him eat and of that bread, and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So it's a self-examination. When we think about lining up our lives to God's plumb line, how does my life line up? Is my life plumbed? Does God's plumb line reveal any crookedness out in my life? Do I hate evil and love good? Is there anything that I tend to excuse as not so bad that I want to determine the 
definition of what's right and what's wrong. We need to go to God's plumb line. God's plumb line. Is my life plumb? So am I seeking the Lord to find daily spiritual life? You know, the verse that was in the middle of the chapter there, seek the Lord and live. Seek him and live. There's life. And that life, I believe, is in a spiritual life filled with devotion and reading and prayer. How is my devotional life? When we think of our relationship with God, how is my devotional life? Do I have a, uh, am I seeking the Lord to find that daily life or do I have a, a complacent spirit, a carefree, careless attitude? No big deal. And I believe one of the ways that we can, one of the telltale signs is, how is my devotional life? Do I want to seek the Lord every day? Do I have a desire to be in his word? Do I love his truth? You know, another verse that we didn't get to bring out is in chapter eight. It's in uh, the basket of bright, ripe fruit. It says there's a famine in the land. It's not a famine of food, not a famine of water, but a famine of hearing of the word of God. And as we evaluate our personal lives, our devotional life, is there a famine or is there a feast? And I believe we would all say that we could probably do better, but this is a self-examination when we think about, is my life plumb? Am I striving to enter into heaven? Am I watching and waiting for his return? Am I obedient to his commands? So there's a lot that we skipped through here, but the book of Amos, I believe, is a message for today. And as we look at these questions, let's prayerfully answer these questions and line ourselves up to God's plumb line. It's true. It will always be the same. Never changes. Praise God. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Thank you for the book of Amos. Thank you for the many things that you've called out in that day that are very prevalent today. So we saw your love and your drawing Israel back to yourself. Help us to have a listening ear tuned to your voice today. Help us to seek you and have life as you promised. Help us to hate evil and to love good. Help us to measure our lives by your plumb line today. Lord, we help us to be harmless and blameless in the crooked generation in which we live. Help us to be a bright light in this dark world. Be with us as we leave from here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus.